Joshua 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Josiah had, what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions. They took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbling. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hevites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings and the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of the provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them, but at the end of these days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephara, Baroth, and Kerith-Jabar. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. And all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we have sworn to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses 
to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Amen. You may be seated. It is, again, uh, a great privilege to not only open the word with you, but to worship with you guys as well. Uh, it is a great joy of my heart to hear God's church singing. Uh, and in this setup, we can really hear each other sing. And I know some of us don't have the best singing voices. I'm raising my hand because I'm that person. Uh, but I'm thankful that we would be so courageous to just praise our God because that's what it's about. It's to sing praises to his name, not for the affirmation of anyone that is around us. So to that, I want to say thank you, church, and implore you to continue to do that. And I want to say thank you to Selma for reading the scripture because that had a lot of big words in it. So you did a good job. Glad you did that. Praise the Lord. Uh, and if you don't know, uh, if this is your first time, we have placed a great emphasis on God's word within our service. So that is why we read scripture at the top of our service and we stand in honor of God's word as it is read. Uh, and then we kind of work back through the scripture. So don't close your Bible up. We're not done with the word of God. We're going to work back through it a little bit here. Uh, so open your Bibles back up to Joshua 9. That's where we're going to be. And if you haven't been here, I do want to allow for a quick recap. Because the nation of Israel has entered into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. This baton has been... Uh, has been passed and God has promised them the land, but he did not promise them that it would be handed to them on a silver platter. They're going to have to fight for it. They were going to have to work for it here. Yes, they had the promise of God that he would go before them, but they also had to be strong and courageous to follow God. God said to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Now, if you were able to kind of clip this uh, couple of verses, it seems like something that would fire somebody up. I had an old strength coach uh, back in high school and played football. His name was Coach Coleman. He attends our Smyrna campus now, but we called him the fire-up coach. He's kind of a loose cannon. You know, he'd do a couple shots of creatine and work out. Stuff and come in there screaming and yelling, getting everybody ready to go for the game. Like if he said this right here before a game, we would think we'd run through a brick wall. Uh, but it's not meant for just that. It is, it is meant to excite the people, to allow them to, to, to be pumped about following the Lord. But it also sets into motion a principle and pattern that will play out from our text. And I think is very prevalent and important for us to understand today. Here's what I mean. From the moment they stepped foot into the promised land, when they followed the Lord and stayed in step with his word and ordered their lives around his counsel, they had success. When they waited on God, when they sought his guidance and decisions and didn't run off and do their own thing, it led to flourishing. But when they departed ways with God's word, when they did run to the right or run to the left or run ahead of God or not follow close enough, it led to devastation. 
that led to suffering as the consequence for their sin. Remember just a few chapters ago when a man named Achan decided to put his hands on the treasure, the things that belonged to God, and took some to his tent. He didn't listen to the command of God to devote all of Jericho uh, uh, to destruction. Achan's poor view of God's holiness not only cost him his life, but it led to the defeat of the entire nation in the battle against Ai. Not only did uh, Achan lose his life, but because of the sin of one man, 36 other people lost their lives. Church, I think this is a good reminder to us, again, that our sin does not happen in a vacuum. I don't care what lie you've been told by the enemy, but whatever sin that we are chasing after and committing, it does not only affect you. The ripples of our sin destroy and decay and kill not only us, but everyone that is around us. But if you flip that on its head, when we obey God's word, it brings blessing and life not only to us, but to all those that are around us. And this is why after discovering that Achan had stolen and brought sin into the camp, Joshua didn't hide it. Rather, he went and confessed the sins of the people to God, operating according to what God had asked him to do. And with that obedience, God then gave the nation of Israel the victory at Ai. Joshua would then lead them to recommit themselves to the covenant and recite the word of God over every single person present. They absolutely made mistakes. They absolutely made mistakes. But things seemed, things seemed like they were on the up and up, right? They, they, the, the nation was conquering multiple kingdoms. Walls were falling down. Rivers were drying up. They had an incredible worship service at the Valley of Shechem. But they, very much like us, would fall back into this cyclical pattern of rebellion and carelessness. It plagued them from the time they left Egypt until this point. And instead of coming together as one to seek the counsel of God through the word and through prayer, they get careless. They get careless and fall victim to their own devices and were deceived. That's what jo Joshua chapter 9 is all about, is deception. It's all about deception. Our text this morning is going to show us the danger of deception if you're writing things down, these are the two points that we want to cover. The danger of, of deception when we are distracted from the word of God. And then I want to close with talking about our defense against deception with a focus on God's word and prayer. So the danger of deception. Look back at Joshua 9, verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So we see at the beginning of this passage that these kings that are all beyond the Jordan come together to fight against the nation of Israel and Joshua. But if you remember back a few chapters ago, these same very nations, their hearts were melting before Israel. But now they seem to be emboldened, thinking they can take them on and take them over. What's the hinge point here that's caused the change? I simply believe it's the faithfulness of Israel. 
when they are obedient to God's word, their enemies' hearts melt. When they're disobedient to his counsel and his leadership, the enemy's hearts are emboldened. The faithfulness of Israel has caused this hinge point. You see, church, the ripples of Achan's sin didn't end at Ai. The pagan nations have begun to band together if, because if Israel doesn't fear their God, why should they? If Israel doesn't operate in the holiness of their God and, and that he is righteous and that he's commanded them to do something and they don't operate in the fear that if they don't do what he's commanded, there's going to be a, a punishment here, why should anyone else? And I, and I truly believe, if we can be honest with ourselves this morning, that if people peer into our lives and they know that we gather with the body on a Sunday morning or we attend a D group or all of those different things and we do all the right christian things, we open our Bibles, we read with our families, we pray, but my life looks like I've never heard the name of Jesus before. Why would anyone fear God or believe the gospel that comes from our lips? Why would anyone repent of their sin and come to know the Lord? if we still cling so tightly to our sin and glory in it and not our heavenly father. And I'm not talking about you doing battle with your sin. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There's a difference to submission and, and war. If we do battle with our sin, like Tony talked about last week, man, the Lord is made strong in our weakness. If we are humble before the Lord, understanding that we are weak, people will see the hand of God in our lives but we have to be willing to live in such a way. So all the kings and peoples of Canaan are assembling together, but one group had a different plan. The nation of Israel had a new enemy, the enemy of deception. Look back at verse, starting in verse three. It says, but when the inhabitants of, of uh, Gibeon heard what Joshua had, Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made uh, provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins and worn-out and torn and mended with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly, and they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. The Gibeonites were a pagan nation. They were descendants from the Hivites and one of the Canaanite people who inhabited the promised land. So this means they were to be devoted to destruction like all of the other godless nations in the promised land. For God, he was making a way for his name and his people. They were all to be devoted to destruction. But you see, the Gibeonites, they weren't ignorant. They, they, they saw the track record here. Like I think the, the definition look up this week of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So giving that, catch on to this, like all of y'all are doing the same thing and all of you are getting destroyed and slaughtered. So let's try something else. They decide that deception is the way to move forward, is the way to gain victory or favor here. This passage actually tells us that they were cunning. If you write in your Bibles or highlight or whatever, circle that word cunning because it means calculated and crafty. And if you remember back to Genesis 3, how was the serpent described? Crafty. 
this plan was to put on this Oscar-winning performance in order that Joshua wouldn't associate them with all of the other pagan nations. So they hit the costume booth. They got these old and tattered clothes. And, and reading this, I kind of think they would probably be trendy in today's age with all the things that they had on. But they had torn and tattered, tattered and stained clothes. The, the holy jeans, their mandals were all ripped up, all those different things. Uh, and, and so they hit the costume booth. And not only did they look legit, though, they not only looked legit, but they could talk the talk. They said, we've traveled from far off, from a distant country. Please make a covenant with us. In reality, though, their city was only a half day's trip away. But with all that was before their eyes, the deception that was laid before them, Israel took the bait. Israel took the bait. I'm not sure if it's uh, good for me to share this, but a few months ago, we went on a student retreat. It's not bad. Hear me say that. Uh, <laughs> some of you were like, oh. Uh, but we went on a student retreat, okay? So we, we took some high school students, guys and girls, and we went to Gatlinburg together. And we did a girls' retreat and then a guys' retreat together. And we booked some awesome cabins. I mean, it had, like, movie theaters, game rooms with pool tables and hockey tables, multiple levels, mountain views. It was beautiful. Every single cabin except for one, okay? Except for one, the one that I was in. Um, yeah, the one that I was in. Now, I saw pictures of this cabin before we got there. And it was beautiful. The room looked, rooms looked large. The lighting was awesome. The views were great. But we get there and quickly find out what has been put off through these pictures is not what's taking place here. I don't know if these are like professional angle people, like they make the rooms look massive. But we walk in, and I'm having to shimmy through doorways, okay? Our mountain view was a wall. And the house, I believe, was slanted. And when I mean slanted, I truly mean slanted. I have a video of me taking a, a, a pool ball off of what was supposed to be a full-size pool table but was as big as this podium here. Uh, and I put it on the floor, just set it on the floor, and it takes off across the room and slams against the wall. So we have proof that it's kind of got a little tilt in it, all right? So it's, I, I, I was, or we were as a ministry, deceived in what we were going to expect. We expected one thing and completely got another. In the same way, the Gibeonites, again, looked legit. They passed the eye test, and they played on the emotions of the people as tired and weary travelers. And tired and weary travelers. But I want you to notice one of the, the biggest reasons that Israel was deceived. Look at verse 14. It says, So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. That's not there by accident. Yeah, the Gibeonites probably put on a good show. They looked the part, they spoke the part, but the biggest issue here for Joshua and Israel is that they did not seek counsel from the Lord. They were not necessarily deceived because of the deception, again, of the Gibeonites, but they were distracted. They were distracted. Hear me out. Instead of keeping their eyes locked on the Lord, they trusted themselves. They trusted themselves. They trusted their own wisdom. They trusted their own logic. They trusted their own eyesight. And they used all of these things to discern what was before their eyes. And they were wrong. They walked by sight and not by faith. They looked on the outside but didn't trust the one who looks on the inside. They allowed the provisions, the wine, the bread, and the lack of everything else to distract them, so they were 
deceived. And after three days, though, Joshua realized he and the nation of Israel had been God. They'd been catfished. Uh, but it was too late at the, that point to devote themselves, to, de- to, de- to devote that nation to destruction. Because if you remember back, they made a covenant with God. And in the name of the Lord, they made this covenant that they would not touch them. They wouldn't devote the people to destruction as they should have been. But the elders got together and they decided, you know what? Y'all will be cursed as woodcutters and water boys for the tabernacle. I think as we read this text, we can feel uh, probably a gamut of emotions. Some of you might feel that the destruction of them should have still taken place. Others of you are annoyed by the, the, the cyclical cycle of the Israelites. But before we cast the first stone, we need to be honest with ourselves. I truly believe we find ourselves on the edge of deception all the time. Think about it. When it comes to who we should marry, one thing I think you need to notice is, again, is how they acted within this covenant that they made with the Lord. Covenants are a big thing. They're not haphazard. They're not a joke. It's not a game. They hold great weight, especially when they're made in the name of the Lord. So when it comes to who we will marry, it matters. And we're we're not going to flirt to convert. (laughs) The Lord has asked you to not be unequally yoked. So if you're dating someone now that is not a believer and you are a believer in this room, it needs to be done. And I know in our own counsel, in our own hearts, in our own eyes, we can say, but I love that person. They've been so good to me. I've been with them for so long. Hear me, it is not up to us. It is by the word of God that we must live. It is by his counsel that we must live. When it comes to financial decisions, we seek his counsel. But more often than not, we don't. We say, I want this thing or I want that thing. I'm going to go on this trip, or I'm going to go on that trip. I deserve this. We need to submit that to the counsel of the Lord. What house should I buy? Where should I live? What career should I take? Parenting decisions all need to come under the counsel of the word. And if they don't, we are on the brink of deception every single time because we can't base our life decisions upon appearance upon what looks appealing to us. A lot of things look really, really good, but a lot of things are really, really bad. And we don't know. So we need to bring that underneath the counsel of the Lord. We must remember to seek the Lord if we want to put up a defense against deception. So my next point, defense against deception. Let's think opposites here for a moment, okay? What's the opposite of distracted? Focus, yeah, you guys can speak it out. Focus. The opposite of being distracted is focus. But here, what do we need to focus on? God's word and prayer. I want you to write a couple of passages of scripture down for me, okay? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Deuteronomy 8.3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make it known to man 
that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is our life. It is our oxygen as believers. It allows us to see our heavenly father and, and, and operate in such a way that he commands us to do. I remember when the Lord was calling me to ministry. Uh, I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor, a preacher, any of those different things. I wanted to be a football coach. Uh, but the Lord had different plans for that. And starting in high school, I, uh, I began reading God's word heavily. And uh, it didn't matter where I read it. It didn't matter what page I turned to. Things that pertain to shepherding and pastoring and leading would just punch me in the face. I could not get away from it. I even for a season was like, I don't want to do that, Lord. So I'm going to set this over here. But what began to happen is people began to communicate God's word to me. <laughs> and in their communication of what God was doing in their lives, he called out to me. It's through God's word that he made this apparent to me. We don't know what our Heavenly Father asks of us if we do not read his word. This is why it is so important. We gave you guys a Bible reading plan to have structure, to help you accomplish things as we go. But the point is to get in the word. Whether it be a, a chapter a day, a book a day, I don't care if you read the entirety of the Bible in 30 days or it takes you 30 years to read it in its entirety. Read it. This is our life. Everything we live upon is based upon the word of God. It is also our foundation and our governance. Y'all know how Kyle, he always brings that Bible up here and gets you to operate underneath it. It's with intentionality. Because he wants us to submit our lives to the word of God. Because our emotions can lead us in all different kinds of ways, ways and direction. Our world, again, remember, is deceitful. And it says that you can be your own God. You can govern your own life. That is not true. The scripture tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All dogs don't go to heaven. <laughs> we only get to the Father through him. And God has so chosen to give us sentence structure, words and verbs and pronouns and all those different things to reveal himself to us. And hear me, and if you're a person that you say, man, well, I don't comprehend well or I read slow, me too. That's the beauty of our day and age. You, you can't, still can't get away from the word because people can read it to you on apps now. My ESV Bible app has an Australian lady named Christine Getty that reads the word to me. You can get an app called Dwell that's got a gamut of, of people that will read it to you. It doesn't matter. Read the word of God at all costs. Whatever you need to do, do it. And if you don't know, ask somebody. Because it is vital that we get in the word. Sam Storms, who was a pastor in Oklahoma, he's a deep theological mind, said that when it comes to the word of God, we can only do four things. 
We can trivialize it. We can trifle with it. We can tampen it. Or, he says, we can tremble at it. He has another one where he says we can also trust it. And hear me, church. This is the truth to trust. If you don't believe me, read it. Because you all have a copy of a Bible. We don't live in a day and age where I'm the only one that has a Bible and I interpret what I want to interpret and give it to you. No, you can go back through and read this chapter and come to me and say, I don't agree with what you said, let's talk about it. Do that. Read the word of God for yourself. I don't want this to be the only time that you open the word. Because if we trust it and we tremble at it, that means we're going to come to it in awe and worship of God. And hear me, we will seek counsel from the things that we trust. If you look back on your life now, where do you go for counsel? We'll say, where do you go to your counsel for counsel first? Is it your friends? Is it Facebook? Is it the office, a neighbor? Where we go for counsel reveals who we trust the most. So please, I plead with you, consider where you're going to turn tomorrow for guidance, better yet today for guidance and direction. And remember the promise of Joshua this morning. Joshua 1, chapter 8, or excuse me, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that it is written. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. It doesn't say seek your friends and seek the world and you will have guidance and good success. It says meditate on the word day and night. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So seek him through his word. Reading the Bible for the life of the believer is not a suggestion. We are commanded to commune with our king in the way that we do this. One is through reading his word. And the second way that we do this is through prayer. James 1, you can write these down. James 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to man. How often do you pray? What does your prayer life look like? Or do you have one? You see, the word of God is our oxygen that allows the believer to breathe. But prayer is the fuel of our hearts that allows us to move forward. The beauty of prayer is that it transforms our heart, our will, and our desires to line up with his. We had a prayer forum yesterday. 
guy came in and he talked about, he wrote a book, The Secret to Prayer. It was phenomenal. If we want to learn the importance of prayer, we've got to be willing to talk about it. Or be willing to say, I don't know what to do when I pray. This feels weird. Or I don't know what to do when God doesn't answer a prayer I'm asking him to answer. These are all real questions for our lives. But prayer and the word of God are two vital stakeholders that have to be in the life of the believer. And hear me, it can sound like I'm condemning you. I want to challenge you. An old, old buddy of mine, some of you may know him, David McCammon, says he likes to call people up. Not call people out, but call them up. Because there is a higher standard for which I want you to live. And it's not for, for my sake or for anyone else's sake other than to honor the Lord. We are to be holy as he is holy. And if we don't pray and we don't read the Bible, that's not going to happen. It's not like we can just sleep on the Bible and wake up and know everything about it. We've got to read it and then ask the Lord for wisdom to understand it. It's important that we pray. Not only for ourselves, but for other people. So with this in mind, let me ask you a few questions. Do you have any big decisions looming over your life right now? A job, a career, school, dating, a marriage, moving, money, parenting. Have you sought the counsel of the Lord? Have you come to the scriptures in hopes to find counsel? Have you gone to him in prayer asking for wisdom? And if you need further help, hear me. That's what the church is for. That's why D groups and life groups are, and all those different things are so important. Because we're not called to do life on our own. We're called to do life with other believers and other people. So you can ask, hey, would you pray for me or what's your opinion on this? But I'm not going to that individual first. In my call to ministry, I met with David McCayman and Matt Stout, who is our Arrington campus pastor now, on trying to figure out what the Lord is doing to me. Man, here is a passage of scripture that I read. Here's my prayer life. I don't know what's happening. I'm beginning to, to dislike every single little thing that I used to love and grip so dearly. And they looked at me and said, why are you running? I believe the Lord's calling you to ministry. And here's why. Or here's what for. The counsel from believers is vital. It is something that we should seek out. But first, seek the kingdom of God in his word and through prayer. As we begin to close today, I want to invite the band to come back up. I think it's easy, I really do, for us to identify what the Israelites in this story. I think it's easy. 
the church hear me, we are more like the Gibeonites than we think. We're deceitful. We're liars. We love the dark. And hear me. The only thing that's going to drive that out is the word of God. So if you're in this room and you do not know Jesus, you don't know the truth. That might be a hard pill to swallow, but you do not know the truth. And I want to give you an opportunity to repent, to place your faith in him, surrender your life at his feet. But I also want to allow for the people in this room that already know Jesus to repent of not seeking him first. Not seeking his counsel through the word, not seeking his wisdom through prayer. We need opportunities to do that. And we're going to, I want to give you a space for that, okay? But what I want to do first, I want to read a prayer to you, over you. This is from the Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. This book has changed my prayer life. Some of you might say it's a little weird to read other people's prayers. Some of the language in here is kind of different, so it's difficult to read it sometimes. But it helps us tangibly see how people pray. We have the Lord's Prayer. We have prayers of other uh, individuals in the scriptures. They're beautiful. Read those first. But this is an extra supplement that if you're stagnant in prayer, this would be a beautiful thing for you. But let, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. I want to read this prayer over you and then we'll move into a time where you can pray and you can seek the Lord in whatever way you see fit. If you want prayer, I'll be down front. If you want prayer for somebody else, get up and move to them. Don't be afraid to say, excuse me, and step through. They'll let you through. Everybody bow your head. I want you to hear this. Thou incomprehensible, but prayer hearing God, known, but beyond knowledge, revealed, but unrevealed. My wants and welfare draw me to thee. For thou hast never said, seek ye me in vain. To thee I come in my difficulties, to thee I come in my necessities, and to thee I come in my distress. Possess me with thyself with a spirit of grace and supplication, with a prayerful attitude of mind, with access into warmth of fellowship, so that in the ordinary concerns of life, my thoughts and desires may rise to thee. And in habitual devotion, I may find a resource that will soothe my sorrows, sanctify my successes, and qualify me in all ways for dealings with my fellow men. I bless thee that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, of resembling thee, the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying thee, the source of all happiness. O oh God, Attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. 
I need the same counsel, defense, comfort I, find, I found at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around me. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. Continue the gentle, gentleness of thy goodness towards me. And whether I wake or sleep, let thy presence go with me. Thy blessing attend me. Thou hast led me on and I have found thy promises true. I have been sorrowful, but thou hast been my help. I have been fearful but thou hast delivered me. I have been despairing, but thou hast lifted me up. Thy vows are ever upon me, and I praise thee, O God. King Jesus, we thank you for who you are and ask that you would move in us now to reveal where we've not sought you, where we've not trusted you. And Holy Spirit, may you prompt us to step in obedience to that. In your precious and holy name.